Let's turn to John chapter 8 this morning. Now, there are so many rich things in this passage that we'll never touch on all of them or cover all of them in our time. I don't want to spend too much time in one place, but uh, there will be another day where we will come back and deal with some of these things. Um, But suffice to say that much of the back and forth between Jesus and the Pharisees in this uh, section uh, can be summed up in... in, um, Verse 27, if you just flip over the page there, and and this kind of sums it up. They did not realize that he had been speaking to them about the Father. Their misunderstanding, their, in a sense, inability to hear what he was saying can be summed up in the fact that they did not grasp that the words that he was, was saying to them came from his Father. Okay, there they were, right in the middle of the temple, right in the section where the money is collected, and, and it kind of emphasized, the, the, the setting kind of emphasizes that they were still relying upon the old way they thought to get to heaven, their own righteousness, doing what was right, giving on this much on this day, um, obeying these laws, and, and what they had become, as Jesus will mention later, is whitewashed tombs. They were just concerned about the exterior. They didn't care at all about the status and in the condition of their hearts. And it wasn't until, as Jesus says, that the Son of Man will be lifted up, that is crucified, that they would begin to get this picture of what he was talking about. So, uh, if you're able, would you stand with me, and we'll read uh, from John chapter 8, verses 12 through 30. Heavenly Father, as we come to your word today, I ask that your spirit would open our eyes to these things that we might be enlightened by that spirit so that we can understand how it is you want us to live today in light of the truth that we read here. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. John chapter 8, verses 12 and following. Again, therefore, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in the darkness, but shall have the light of life. The Pharisees therefore said to him, You are bearing witness of yourself. Your your witness is not true. Jesus answered and said to them, Even if I bear witness of myself, my witness is true, for I know where I came from and where I am going, but you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You people judge according to the flesh. I am not judging anyone. But even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for I am not alone in it, but I and he who sent me. Even in your law it has been written that the testimony of two men is true. I am he who bears witness of myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness of me. And so they were saying to him, where is your father? And Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. Well, these words he spoke in the treasury as he taught them in the temple. No one seized him because his hour had not yet come. He said, therefore, again to them, I go away, and you shall seek me, and you and shall die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. 
Therefore the Jews were saying, surely he will not kill himself, will he? Now, now just as, a, as an aside, in all of these things that he's saying, remember they didn't understand this was from the Father. So they're assuming that Jesus here is going to commit suicide, and that was a, a terrible no-no in the Jewish world, and that, that they were, he was going to go therefore to the deepest and darkest place of Sheol, and, and they, were, they were really mystified here. So back to verse 22. Therefore the Jews were saying, surely he will not kill himself, will he? Since he says, where I am going, you cannot come. And he was saying to them, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I said therefore to you that you shall die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you shall die in your sins. And so they were saying to him, who are you? And Jesus said to them, what have I been saying to you from the beginning? I have many things to speak and to judge concerning you, but he who sent me is true. And the things which I heard from him, these I speak to the world. They did not realize that he had been speaking to them about the Father. Jesus therefore said, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and I do nothing on my own initiative, but I speak these things as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he spoke these things, many came to believe in him. This is God's inspired word for us today. So please be seated. It's fascinating to see that the Pharisees can't grasp what he is saying. They think that he's going to kill himself and go off to the darkest place of Sheol. And, and yet here at the end, we see very clearly that it is he who sent me has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him, and he spoke these things. Many came to believe. Many came to believe. It is the power of the word of God, and he works through this. You know, as, as we read this, this is, in the Greek, it's a kind of a complex structure here and, and rather hard to digest, and I think it's, it's some, some of the, the things are, are very hard to understand in, in, in the translation as well as far as flowing smoothly. But yet, people came to believe in who he was, that he was the Messiah. Remember, the whole purpose of the writing of the Gospel of John is what? So that you may understand Christ, that he has come from the Father, that he gives life, and that we may have it full. Okay, that is the purpose of what John has written here. And so he gives us this section that we may understand these things and see that others have come to believe in Christ because of them. Now, we're going to deal mostly with this first section here in chapter 8, verse 12. When Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in the darkness, but shall have the light of life. But shall have the light of life. Now let me speak generally about this concept uh, about light. Any talk of the concept of light dealing with God is, is bookend in Scripture. It's in Genesis chapter 1. It's in Revelation chapter 22. Okay, we see that in the very beginning, God talks about light, and he creates it. Let there be light, and there was. And, and this theme works all the way through Scripture. Almost in, It's listed 200 times, this concept of light dealing with God and the clarity of understanding who, was, who is God, all the way to Revelation 22. And we know in heaven there is no sun or moon. Why? 
because it is the glory of God that shines, okay? It is this light that is finally and fully realized in heaven as the light that opens our eyes to all that is right, to who God is, and, 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 and lays him before us. So there are these bookends of light. In the Old Testament, the word of God is a lamp unto my feet. We read that. It is the light of the God uh, that brings joy in our lives. It shines brighter and brighter until the, the fullness of time when all things will be revealed to us. And then we see it in, in uh, the New Testament, especially in the Gospel of John, and how it is played off against lightness and darkness. And we see this again and again in this Gospel. Those who are in the light understand. Those who do not understand do not because their eyes are darkened. They are in darkness. And in fact, those who are against Christ actually love the darkness. Okay, it is their friend. They, they flourish in the darkness as far as they understand it. But yet their eyes are darkened to the things of the gospel. And it is the light of the gospel that brings understanding, while those who do not understand it live in darkness. We are told to what? Let it shine, okay? Yes. Sunday school was so good, isn't it? You learn all those cool little songs, and then when you're 50, you can still sing them. And they still have great, they have this great theological significance now. Hide it under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine. What is the light that we are to let shine? It is the gospel of Jesus Christ in our lives. Okay? I won't let Satan blow it out. As if it was even possible that Satan could blow it out. When you're in second grade, you can't grasp all the intricacies of the sovereignty of God and all that theology. But we know now Satan can't. We're going to let the light shine. Now, we can hide it under a bushel. Okay? We can say, well, I've got my salvation, and I'm going to keep it to myself. Not, not let anybody know. Okay? It's like, um, what is it, Revelation? If you know, God wants you hot or cold, if you're lukewarm, what's he going to do? Spit you out. Okay? If you're a secret, if you're, if you're going, well, well yeah, I, I want to tell you, I'm a Christian too, but don't let it get out. And you can tell them where your secret is safe. Okay? Because nobody's going to know. Nobody's going to know. We come to this section where Jesus declares that he is the light of the world. Now, we've seen in chapter 1 and in chapter 3, he has talked about light. Is, is, is This concept of light and the gospel has been talked about before. But here at this time, Jesus reveals that he is the light of the world. Why? Okay, why now? So much of Scripture we think... If you were not paying attention to it, we think, that's cool. That's a cool coincidence. There are no coincidences in Scripture, okay? No things happen by chance or just happen to fall together in Scripture. Jesus, in, in chapter uh, 6, is the bread of life, right? The bread of life. Where was Jesus born? Bethlehem. When we translate Bethlehem, we get what? The city of bread. Jesus is the bread of life. Okay, that's not a coincidence. That was said in Micah years and years ago that he would be born in Bethlehem. The one that would come and feed the nour and nourish us and, and provide for us the food that we would never be hungry again. We go all the way back to the manna in the desert. Okay, that was foretold. He's the bread of life. Judy it, she came across something fascinating yesterday as she was doing the children's Sunday school lesson, okay? And we think there are no coincidences, coincidences in Scripture. Who is the oldest man in Scripture? 
Methuselah, 969 years he lived. Okay? Do you know what his name means? I know my wife and my daughters do. When he is dead, it shall come. When he is dead, it shall come. Do you know the year that he died? The year that it started to rain. He died the year of the flood. Okay? Begin to read in Genesis, and you, you come to that conclusion. When he is dead, it shall come. What was the it? The judgment that God would bring. Because every man's heart was only inclined towards sin. And he, he said, Noah was building that ark for 120 years. And he preached and nobody listened to him. And the year that Methuselah died, judgment came. You would think somebody would have gotten that picture. Gee, what's his name mean? Well, when he's dead, it comes. It's raining. I've never seen rain before. You know, Noah talked about rain. Do you think this is important? Of course it was important. They didn't get it. Okay? There are no coincidences in Scripture. So when we read that Jesus at this point in chapter 8 announces that he is the light of the world, we have to ask, why now? Why is it important that he says it now? Well, when he says, I am the light of the world, we might think, well, is that the sun? Is that the, the warmth and the things that it brings? No. No. When he says he is the light of the world, he is the light in the darkness. The light that opens our eyes and gives us understanding. Now, the context of this chapter is that it is the Feast of Tabernacles. The Feast of Tabernacles is going on right now. Now, this was an, uh, an eight-day feast, and, and every day the priest would take these golden pitchers and they would go to the Pool of Siloam. You remember the Pool of Siloam where you've got the man who's been uh, crippled all his life, and, and, and uh, Jesus comes and finds him, and that's the place where he said, well, the angels come and, and stir the water, and the first one in gets healing. And I can't get there, and Jesus says, get, pick it up and go. Okay, And he is healed. Well, every day they would go with these golden pitchers and they would gather water from this pool. They would go back and pour it on the altar of sacrifice. And as they did, people sang and chanted these things. Look with me over at uh, Psalm uh, 114. Let's go there. Psalm 114. This is one of the things that they would chant. And the context is very important. And understanding why they would pick this verse and also another one, which I'll read for you in a moment. Psalm 114. They also would read or chant Isaiah chapter 12. Therefore, you will joyously draw water from the springs of salvation. That's one of the things that they would chant. The other came from Psalm 114, verses 7 and 8. Tremble, O earth, before the Lord, before the God of Jacob, who turned the rock into a pool of water, the flint into a fountain of water. Okay? This was a remembrance of God's provision for them while they were wandering in the desert. Okay? And you remember that, that Moses struck the walk and, and, and water came out of there. And it also hints at the spiritual water that comes from the Lord. Um, Jesus, um, just in, in the previous chapter, um, said what? I'm like, water, okay? Drink from me, you'll thirst no more. We see this. I'm the bread. I am the, 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 the I give, uh, I quench your thirst. I'll uh, satisfy your hunger. And here he says, I will light your path. So Jesus, you can imagine in the midst of what is going on with this water, Jesus comes in and, and go back to John. And back in verse uh, 37 and 38 of chapter 7, 
it says here, um, now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, if any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. In the midst of this process of taking this water, Jesus stands up and says, if you're thirsty, come to me and drink. Now this is the thirst that was quenched in the desert by a miracle of the Lord, providing them water each and every day so they would never be thirsty. And Jesus says, on that water, come to me, and you'll never be thirsty again. So that was the first ceremony here, this gathering of the water. The second ceremony that, that dealt with this feast happened at night, on probably on, on a, a number of nights. After the sun was set, two great lamps would be lit up in that temple area, and it was enough light, really, you know, there's no electric light, and, and, and it was tough enough to get artificial light, so it would light that entire area there. And the lamps were meant to recall the cloud, and the, the pillar of cloud, and the pillar of fire that led them and protected them in the desert. So here we have a remembrance of the Lord providing them water in the desert. Jesus says, Come to me and you'll thirst no more. And now he, we have a remembrance of the, of the cloud and the fire that stood between them and the Egyptians as they crossed the sea, gave them protection, kept the enemy at bay, and then, what, led them through the desert and also provided them care and protection as it, as it covered them in the midst of all that went on. Jesus says, I'm the light, you'll never thirst, You'll never hunger. You'll never not know your way. These are the things that Jesus is saying at this point. So it's very important that we understand why he says, I am the light right now, because they're talking about the cloud and they're remembering the cloud that led them. So let's look at the cloud first. Um, flip over to Exodus chapter 13. We'll have to uh, read a little bit about that there. Exodus chapter 13. First, the cloud symbolized God's presence with his people. That's the first thing that this cloud symbolized. For an age that didn't have much in, in, in the way of artificial light, light would almost always suggest the presence of God. Uh, also, the cloud was so large and so striking in, in the sense that you'd see this uh, all day and then this at, at night, it, it must harken back to the theophany, the presence of God, a physical manifestation of the presence of God in their midst. That was this cloud. So we come here to Exodus 13. Let's look at uh, verse 21. And the Lord was going before them in a pillar of cloud by day to lead them on the way, and in a pillar of fire by night to give them light that they might travel by day and by night. He did not take away the pillar of cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. So that we see that, that God is obviously leading them. In other passages, we see that God sometimes breaks forth in judgment from this cloud onto the sins of the people. And in Numbers chapter 10, he is said to raise himself up out of this cloud before the people. Now, we apply this to the claims of Christ back in John chapter 8. The cloud also once filled the Holy of Holies, as a sign of the Lord's presence. That was his glory that dwelt in and amongst his people. But that cloud was gone now, okay? Uh, another, another name, you know what the name Ichabod means? The glory has departed. 
okay? It's gone. So what he's saying is the glory has departed here, and no longer does that cloud dwell in the midst of the people. And Jesus says, but I am the light. Basically, he is the glory of God. He is that perfect essence of the Heavenly Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. But their eyes were dark to this. So first, it symbolizes God's presence with his people. Secondly, the cloud was important that it might be the primary means of God to protect his people while they were in the desert. Without that cloud, without that protection, the people would have perished. Now understand that they have been slaves for generations. The Lord gets them out through the the plagues and the hardening of Pharaoh's heart and and all of those things. And it said that they had 600,000 men went out. So we're going to figure there were probably, you know, roughly 2 million people that left Egypt at that time. They didn't know anything about the desert, and where they were going was probably the most inhospitable area, geographically speaking, that they could think of. During the day, if you could find shade, the temperature in the shade would be 120 degrees. At night, it would be somewhere down around freezing. So they're going to need shelter, and they're going to need protection during this time. They're going to need to know where to go. Because if they get out in the desert, everything looks the same out there. They'll very easily get lost. And here is this cloud. And it leads them in the day, and the pillar of fire by night. And then this cloud comes upon them in a fashion I can only say would be be kind of protective to keep them safe in these periods of time. Now, I'm, I'm having you look up a lot of things. I understand that. Get your hymnal out and go to 376. 376. John Newton, same guy who wrote Amazing Grace, the slave trader who came to Christ, whose life was forever changed. Okay? And we think, oh, you know, sometimes we sing songs and we think, oh, those are cool. That's cool words. I wonder where they got this. Let me tell you where they got verse 3 of... 376. Let me read it. Round each habitation hovering, see the cloud and fire appear for a glory and a covering showing that the Lord is near. Thus deriving from their banner light by night and shade by day, safe they feed upon the manna which he gives them when they pray. Newton is talking about this event, this cloud protecting the people of God as they went and then he also provides, a, he provides manna for them each and every day. Remember, they went out in the morning, they gathered enough for that day. If they gathered extra, it was rotten in the morning except the day before the Sabbath. Then they got enough for two days. And the, the richness of this hymn, which we're going to sing in, in just a little bit, you know, the habitation, around the habitation, the cloud of our Heavenly Father in His presence protects them. It guides them. It gives them safety. It does all of these things. They would have perished without this cloud. And Jesus points to this ceremony, remembering this, and it says, I'm the light of the world. I'm this cloud, basically, what He is saying. You, you come to celebrate this cloud that happened so many generations ago, and you know what? I'm it today. I'm it today. Third, first, symbolizes God's presence. Secondly, the protection of his people. And third, the cloud is the primary means by which the Lord guided his people in the desert. The primary means by which the Lord guided his people. 
Now, there were few landmarks in the desert. They had been slaves, as I said. They didn't know where they were going. Now we know because of their disobedience, the Lord made them wander in the desert. But he led that cloud, and wherever that cloud went, they were supposed to go. When the cloud got up and moved, everybody broke camp, and they headed off. When the cloud stopped, everybody made camp again, and they stayed until the cloud moved. So the Lord is saying, I am the light. If you will follow me, you will be in obedience. If you go your own way, there is trouble. It's just like, well, we can follow the cloud, but you know what? I'd rather go over there. Yeah, but the cloud is going this way. Yeah, but I want to go over here. How many of us have gone over there when the Lord has said, you've got to go this way, and there's trouble over there? I mean, if you want to be disobedient, that's your business, but you're going to pay the consequence for it. We've all been there. We've all known what the Lord wants us to do. And because of whatever reason, our weakness, our circumstances, we have gone our own way and we've paid the price for it. So let's look at this in our own lives for a minute today. It's necessary to avoid two particular errors, I think. One is being overly, overly? One is being hasty in our jumping on the bandwagon of what the Lord wants us to do. Jumping to conclusions, misreading his will, jumping ahead of him. Running ahead of the Lord is as dangerous as following too far behind. Okay? Assuming we know what he wants from us. Now, when the cloud was in front of the people of God in the Old Testament, it was 2,000 cubits in front of the people. It's three-fifths of a mile. Okay? So unless you're in a jet fighter or a NASCAR race car, three-fifths of a mile is a long way. Plenty of time to see if it's moving. Plenty of time to see where it is going. Okay, so they can sit back and reflect. Okay, it looks like it's moving. Are we sure? Yes, it's moving. Let's pack up and go with it. Okay, now the danger that we fall into is assuming what the Lord wants or or jumping too quickly because we think this is what he wants and we don't confirm it. Okay, one of the dangers of that way that it's manifest, one of those dangers is, is reading something in Scripture and assuming it has to be right. Man, making doctrine off of that. Okay? But if you look at Scripture as a whole, it gives a different picture on it. That's why, here we're, that's why we're not handling snakes today. That's why we're not drinking poison. That's why we're not stoning our kids. Okay? Because when we view, and some of those kids are really pleased that we're not. Okay? Because in the Old Testament, they would have been dead by now. But we understand scripture as a whole, so we don't do those things, okay? We don't make doctrine from a single passage. We don't jump to conclusions. If you think the Lord wants you to go here, what do you do? We confirm it in scripture that that's something that brings glory to Christ. We, we seek out our friends who are full of faith and wisdom and, and seek their counsel and, and consult with them. And then we pray and, and see what the Lord wants. So one danger is jumping ahead too soon. And the other danger is lagging behind. Well, there goes the cloud. Well, I haven't finished my breakfast yet. So uh, I'll, I'll pick up and move in a little bit. And before you know it, the cloud's gone and everybody else is gone. And you're still around the campfire, enjoying the warmth of that campfire. But the Lord has moved on and you've been left. See, the danger is lagging behind the Lord. It's just as real as jumping out too early before the Lord. Okay. That's why there was this distance between the people and the cloud. That's why, in the sense here, we have to know the light. The light has to, has to fill us. The word has to fill us so that we understand who Jesus Christ is and understand what the Lord wants. We don't run ahead of him, nor do we lag behind. 
Our desire is to walk perfectly in step. Now, there are days when I think, oh, I'm in step, and there are other days I'm like, where, where are you, Lord? Okay? I must have been back by the campfire because you've moved on. If we refuse to follow the Lord's will, he will leave us behind. Whether it's an individual, maybe it's just a day, and, and then we catch up. Or as a church, if, if the Lord moves on and the Lord's doing something over there and we're not part of it, we're in trouble. We are in trouble. When Jesus said he was the light of the world, it meant that God was with them right there in the person of Jesus Christ. He was their source of protection. He would guide them. They would never walk in darkness if they understood that he was the light. There are great things for those who follow Jesus Christ. John chapter 8 says, if you follow me, you'll never walk in darkness. You will never walk in darkness. John chapter 12 says, I have come as light into the world that everyone who believes in me may not remain in darkness. And that darkness was just a way of saying your sin. Okay? If you follow Christ, you will know the light and you will walk in the light. If you don't, you will be in darkness. See, for us, this is a promise of salvation. Israel, this was a national salvation uh, of protection as long as they were obedient. There was also the you know, salvation of those who were actually uh, the elect of the Old Testament. And now he says, this is your salvation. Christ is the light. If you close your eyes to that, if you turn off and say, well, no, there must be other ways of salvation. I'm going to go and find them myself. There are no other ways of salvation. Christ says, I am the light. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. No other means of salvation. As hard as that can be, as, 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 as much as we want to think that other people are earnest and sincere and that God will welcome them in because of that earnestness and that sincerity, that simply is not true. Christ says, I am the light. There is no salvation outside of me. Believe upon Jesus Christ today. Believe in your heart, confess with your mouth, and you will be saved. That's what he says. But for the Pharisees in this passage in particular, and so many today who cannot see this, they cannot understand it because their eyes are darkened and therefore they are judging by human standards. They're holding up what they understand as a human in their finite mind and saying, I hear the things from Scripture and I hear the stuff about Jesus, but it, but it just doesn't compute with what I know to be true in the world. These are the things that I can sense. And, and, and if it doesn't jive with that, then it can't be true. Remember, Jesus is in the midst of this celebration of what the Lord did generations ago in the Old Testament. And they're all remembering it. And they're all celebrating it. And Jesus says, I am the fulfillment of that. I am the light. No longer be in darkness, but come to the light. And that's what he says to us today. Come to the light. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day that you no longer need to be in the darkness. Let's pray. Lord, what a great truth this is. In your provision for the, your people in the Old Testament, you provided them safety and protection and guidance. And along comes Jesus Christ and says, I am the light. Those who believe in me will know the guidance and the protection and the safety and salvation. They will know where to go and what to do. No longer walk in darkness. These words are before us today, Lord. We pray that your spirit would descend upon us. Open our eyes to them that we might see and believe and receive Christ as our Lord and Savior. 
and live and walk in the light of him. We ask this in his name. Amen.